Well, hey, good morning. Great to see everybody. Uh, my name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm part of our preaching team, and it's uh, my joy to be able to open up God's Word uh, with you this morning. Uh, in December, Molly and I celebrate our 20th anniversary, uh, which is pretty exciting. And um, so to, yeah. I mean, make up your mind. Are you going to clap or not? I don't know. Um, anyway, so we, uh, we had a chance to celebrate a little early. We decided to go to New York City for a week. Uh, some of you heard about that. I had been saying how I was going to gripe about masks and everything. It, it actually went great. And uh, we had an awesome uh, week. We went kind of Wednesday to Wednesday, seven days in New York City. Uh, basically just picked different parts of the city that we wanted to explore and walk around and eat and drink coffee and just had a great, great time together. And uh, on the, uh, before we went, I kind of asked some friends that I knew had some experience in New York City, like, hey, what are your top three recommendations? Because I felt like if I ask for three, they're going to give me five. If I ask for five, they're going to give me 10. I don't want 10. I just, you know, so, so I had all these great recommendations, didn't get to go, go to all of them. But, but whenever we went to a restaurant where we had, you know, had been recommended by a friend, I tried to kind of text him and say, hey, we went to this place. And, and so one friend replied and he said, oh, whew, like, I'm so glad you liked it. You know how it is with recommendations, right? You know how it is, right? You make some recommendations. They're like, ah, I hope they like it. I hope it goes okay. I hope it works. And I think a lot of the time when we read the scriptures or when we listen to Jesus, whether we're a follower of Jesus or we're just kind of kicking the tires on him, we, we, we tend to imagine that what Jesus is saying is just recommendations. Ah, maybe, maybe try this. Maybe don't. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. Like, it's just a, rec- it's just a recommendation. You know, it's a suggestion. It's an idea. It's, you, you could do this, right? And uh, leave your Yelp review on what Jesus has to say, right? Kind of a thumbs up, thumbs down, what do you, you know. But, but the reality is, especially in this passage of Scripture here in the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus is not giving recommendations. He's giving promises. He's giving promises. He's talking to his disciples uh, the night before he is going to go to the cross. He's about to be crucified, he's about to be buried, he's about to rise, he's about to ascend to the right hand of the Father, and he's talking to his disciples, and he's preparing them. They are troubled, they are distressed, They're, they don't totally understand what's going on, but, but as he begins to talk and they begin to kind of connect the dots in some ways, they realize this is going to get tough. And in the midst of that trouble, in the midst of that difficulty, Jesus doesn't offer them recommendations. He offers promises. And so this Bible is written, especially this portion is written to describe how disciples ought to live in a world with trouble. And in the midst of that world, God doesn't give us recommendations. He gives us promises. And these are not just promises about the future, though there's plenty of promises about the future in the Bible. But in this particular section, Jesus is giving us promises for right now. Look at verse 27. If you have your Bible, look at chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In the midst of a troubling, difficult, upsetting kind of moment, Jesus says, hey, 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 peace I'm leaving with you. My peace I give to you. Isn't it interesting that he repeats it? It's like, hey, you really need to understand this. And then he says this, not as the world gives do I give to you. How does the world give peace? 
right? Here we are in this time of trouble. Here we are in this time of chaos. Here we are in this time of uncertainty. And we start looking for peace. And, and if you look around the world, you can find some peace. There is a kind of peace that the rest of the world gives you apart from Jesus. But what's it like? It, well, it's temporary. It's real short-lived, right? You can get a drink. You can get a whole bottle of drinks. You can take a pill. You can shop your way into some peace. You can pursue a certain kind of relationship. You can just sort of lose yourself online or on Netflix, right? There's, there's ways to find peace. Like if you can't find even moments of peace, you are really looking in the wrong places. You can find some peace. The problem with the world's peace is it's short-lived. It's temporary. The, the other thing about the world's peace is it's always earned, it's always earned. I sort of notice this when you kind of think about all the self-help stuff that's out there. And it's not just in books. It's all over Instagram, right? Here's the life you could have. You could be healthy. You could be happy. You could be emotionally healthy. You could be mentally in a good place. But all you got to do is eat this way, have these things, buy those things, work out like this, on and on and on. And so you can have the world's peace, but it takes a lot of effort. And if it takes that much effort to get it, Think about how much effort it takes to maintain it. The world offers a kind of peace. The world's peace, though, also it's selfish. Jesus comes to give us a peace that's actually going to spill out on other people to help us be a blessing to other people. But when you pursue peace the way the world pursues peace, it's just all about you. All these people who are a distraction, they need to get out of my life. All these people are difficult, I need to kind of get, cut them out, right? I just, I'm about peace for me. And peace, the way the world gives it, it's circumstantial. It's peaceful until something goes wrong, until there's an unplanned situation, until it's like, well, I wasn't thinking it'd be like this. And, and, and it, so it's circumstantial. I have peace until I don't have any more peace. And Jesus says, I'm trying to give you peace. And there's a way the world gives peace, but I have something that's better for you. And so he says at the end of verse 27, let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid. What if our trouble and our fear, do any of us feel troubled? Do any of us feel afraid? What, what if our trouble and our fear is actually coming in part because we're looking to the world to provide peace and it just can't pull it off? And so Jesus says, I came to give you Peace. And so the title of today's message is Promises That Produce Peace. Jesus, in this particular passage with his disciples, is offering not recommendations, not suggestions, promises. And these are promises that if we cling to them, we will experience peace. These are promises that produce peace. That's what we're going to look at here together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word and thank you for how you um, declare promises to us. God, promises that we don't deserve. Uh, promises that are better than anything that we could imagine. God, help us to hear them. Help us to receive them. And God, I pray that you would give us peace through these promises. That you would allow us to not feel so troubled, to not feel so anxious, to not feel so on edge. God, would you give us rest? Would you give us peace? Thank you for your word. Speak to us, God. Amen. 
Now, before we get into these specific promises, I think it's important to say this, is that these promises are for people who love Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, uh, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So in other words, if you're going to experience the, the way, the truth, and the life that Jesus gives, it has to come through Jesus. So if, if you're going to um, try to have the, the peace Jesus gives apart from Jesus, well, it just doesn't make sense. But in this text specifically, it says that, that these are for those who love him. Look at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 23, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. These are contingent on us loving Jesus, right? These are promises for those who love Christ. Do you love him? Now, now listen, if you don't love him, he still loves you and he's still pursuing you. But if you love him, I want you to be encouraged and I want you to take comfort today from these promises that produce peace. Well, what are they? There's three of them. Here's the first one. If you love Jesus first, you will start living the way you were meant to live, obeying his commandments. If you love Jesus, you will start living the way you were meant to the way you were created to. It's interesting in the Gospel of John, you know, John is a follower of Jesus. He's a close friend of Jesus. Some people would even suggest, theologians would, would argue that John might be Jesus' closest friend. And so he's writing this account of Jesus' life so that we would trust him and love him and believe in him. And at the very beginning, if you go to John chapter one, what you see is that John starts with creation. And he says, Jesus was actually the creator. Here's what it says in John chapter one, verse three. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In other words, here's what he's saying. He's saying there is a way of creation that is good, and that is right, and that is beautiful, that is light, that is life. This is, this is how we were made. We were made by Jesus to walk in the light, to experience the life with God. But very quickly, we, we, we resist. So just a few verses later in John chapter one, verse nine, it says this, the true light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. So here's what John's saying throughout this whole book. He's saying, there is this way of life. There is this way of light. There is this way of joy. There is this way of peace. And we have turned away from it. We've turned away from the light. We have loved the darkness rather than the light because our deeds are evil. And as a result, we experience all sorts of brokenness. Somebody has said it this way. If you live against the grain of creation, don't be surprised when your life is filled with splinters. And isn't this how we feel? Our hearts are just filled with splinters. Our minds, our lives, it's splinters because we're going against the grain of creation. God made us to walk with him and to trust him and to love one another and to be generous and to be kind and to be patient and to be self-controlled and to be all these. And we go against that. Our lives are filled with splinters. Right? When, when God says don't to something, what he means is don't hurt yourself. 
There's a way I've made you. There's a way I know you. I want you to live in the grain of creation. And so Jesus has come to show a better way, a way of love and of sacrifice and of blessing. And so if you love him, here's the good news today, you will obey him. You will keep his commandments and you will follow his way. Now, this doesn't mean you'll do it perfectly, but it does mean you'll do it increasingly. Look at chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say, if you love me, you should. You could. You might. No, you will. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 23, Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So if you love him, you will keep his commands. This is a promise. This is a promise that over time, you will become more and more like Jesus. You will become more and more who God created you to be more and more alive, more and more filled with joy, more and more filled with peace. Even in the midst of trouble, even in the midst of stress, you will, you will become more like you were made to be. Now, what about this connection between love and obedience? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Well, just think about this for a moment. What, what do you get if you have love, but not obedience? If we love God, but we don't obey him, what do we get? Well, it's just kind of sentimentalism, right? And think about this in any relationship, right? Some of you are parents, some of you are grandparents, you're, some of you are in marriage relationships, some of you just have close friends, good friends. And there's times in those relationships where you say, hey, I really need you to do this, right? If you go to your kids, you're like, hey, I really need you to clean your room. You need to clean your room. And they're like, daddy, I love you. No. You're like, we have a problem here, right? Like, it, you're saying you love me. It doesn't feel like it because you're not doing what I'm asking you to do, right? I'm not asking you to do something crazy. I'm not, if you love me, you'll keep my commands, right? Love without obedience is just sentimental, right? You're like, well, I, I have good thoughts of you. I just won't do what you ask. Like, well, that doesn't really feel like we have much of a relationship here, do we? Now think about it the other way. What if you have obedience without love? Well, that's just slavishness. Now, if you're the parent of a toddler, you'll take it, right? <laughs> like, uh, I don't care if you love me, get your shoes on and get in the car, right? Like, right? And so, but, but over time, like, it, it's, this, is, this is what's hard is some of us, as we begin to have teenagers and we begin to have adult children, you go like, they still will do what I say, but without much warmth, You're like, yeah, maybe they don't even do that. You know, well, I don't, that doesn't really feel great either. See, here's the thing. God didn't make us to be obedient machines that just did what he said. He wants a relationship with us. And so it just makes perfect sense then that if that's true, that, that if we love him, we will obey him. And so, so we begin to live the way we were meant to live. This is why this gives peace, right? This is why this is a promise that produces peace. Because if you love him, you will start to live like him. You'll start to want what he wants. You'll start to live the way you were meant to live. Here's the second promise. Is that if you love Jesus, you will experience life with God. Near you, with you, 
and in you. If you love Jesus, you will experience life with God. Not you might, not you could, not you ought to, you will. God near you, God with you, and God in you, right? Think about this. What is sin? Sin is walking in darkness. Sin is what separates us from God. Sin is what, sin is what keeps us from the goodness of God, the blessing of God, the peace of God. And, and so then into this world of sin, Jesus comes and he begins to show these disciples who he's doing life with and these other people who follow. And he says, hey, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. They begin to see life the way it was meant to be. And so he's with them and he's around them and, and they're experiencing the kingdom of God coming. And if you just, again, so this is not just talking about us right now as much as talking about these disciples in this room, right? They're in this upper room. They're having this Passover dinner with Jesus and, and they're starting to go, uh-oh. We had this world of sin, but God came into it and we've had him and he's been close and we could touch him. And now it seems like he's saying he's going to leave. He's going to go somewhere. He's going to do something else. This seems to be rattling us. And yet here's what Jesus says to them. Here's what he says. He says, don't worry. Guys, don't worry. If I were to summarize what he's saying in this, this text, he's saying, don't worry. You will get more of God than you could ever imagine. Now, this is hard for us to believe because we who believe that Jesus is God believe, well, how could I get more of God than if Jesus were in the room with me? Right? That's what we long for is, oh, I wish I could just see Jesus. I wish I could touch his hand and, and see his face. I wish I could have a presence with him. And here's what Jesus is saying in this text. In this text, he's saying, listen, that's the downgrade. I, I'm, I'm going away and I'm giving you an upgrade. I'm giving you something better. Look at what he says in verse 18. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He's saying, I'm not gonna abandon you. I'm not gonna leave you out in the dry. I'm not gonna leave you in the cold. I will be with you. Verse 20 indicates this as well. In that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. You go, whoa, whoa, whoa what? Like, he's saying like, I'm not just going to be kind of in the same room as you, but I am in my father and you are in me and I'm in you. He, he's describing this, this language of, of union, not just proximity to God, but union with God. That's amazing. Verse 23 he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He's saying, you've had, just, you've had this little taste of God through the, the, the scriptures and you've had this little taste of God through the temple and the sacrifices and you've had this taste of God through me coming and you living with me. And I'm about to tell you, here's what he's saying. I'm gonna give you something that's better than all three of those combined. Uh, a couple months ago, I was uh, on YouTube, just, I, I don't know what made me think to do it, but I was with my uh, older two girls and we were watching YouTube on our TV and I uh, found the, the Steve Jobs original keynote talk he gave when he rolled out the first iPhone, right? And, and as my kids watch this, I mean, they're like going, dad, how, how was it living with dinosaurs? <laughs> you know, like, when the earth's crust was hardening, was that difficult, right? Like, that's how it, that's how it felt to them because they can't imagine a time when there's not smartphones. But we're watching this whole keynote and Steve Jobs is blowing everyone's mind 
Because he's going, here's what we have. There's a device that combines an iPod and a phone, which is the worst part of an iPhone, and a mobile internet device. And the crowd is like, (gasps) (sighs) right? And then he's like, and watch this. He pulls up the maps feature and he like pinches it and expands it. And it's like zooming in. And the crowd is like, ooh. And my kids are like, wait, what? Like, that's what it's like? And it's like, I mean, but, but what Steve Jobs is going like, here's something you've never seen before. You've had an iPod and you've had a phone and you've had a computer and we're putting it together. And the crowd is going, wow, right? And that's the impact that Jesus is trying to have on his disciples. He's saying, yes, I'm leaving, but I'm giving you something much better. And we tend to go, eh, I don't know, that sounds like a downgrade. But as we see here, this is not a downgrade. This is union with God. And this is, uh, the the way he's going to do this is by sending the Holy Spirit. And so that's what this passage is talking about, is how we are going to experience life with God through the Holy Spirit. Look at chapter 14, verse 16. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He says in verse 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So so how are we gonna get this life with God? Because the Father is gonna send the Spirit. Now, the word that's used here in verse 16, verse 26, is the word helper. This word helper shows up five times, actually, in chapters 14, 15, and 16, the word helper. Now, what's interesting about this Greek word is that it's a a word that's hard to translate. Uh, It's uh, parakaleo. It's it's this, this word that's difficult to translate. So if you actually look at the different English translations, all these good ones, they end up in different places. The ESV translates it as helper, right? That's what we just read. And that might sound denigrating, like God is just sort of like running to get us coffee or something. But actually, this word helper is used in the Old Testament to describe God himself. In Psalm 54, it says, behold, God is my helper. He is the upholder of my life. So helper is kind of one word. Uh, The King James Version uses the, the word comforter. And that might seem a little bit sort of soft, perhaps. But but think about the idea of if you've ever been grieving you've ever experienced a significant loss, sometimes someone comes to you and they just sit with you. They put their arm around your shoulder and they don't say much and they don't do much. But their presence, when they leave, it's not all better necessarily, but you go, I can keep going. I have the strength to keep going. That's who God is. Now, other translations like the NIV translates it as advocate. And that uh, makes sense because the secular Greek use of this Greek word uh, described these legal assistants, these kind of advocates who would plead your case, almost a kind of a lawyer who uh, pleads on your behalf. And so if you kind of put these things together, th- think about this. Some of you have gone through the process of trying to adopt. And I think this language of adoption is very relevant to this passage. In verse 18, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. 
And some of you have gone through this process of trying to adopt, and especially if you're trying to adopt through the foster care system, it's just, it's complex. Any kind of adoption can be really complex. And you go like, this is stressful. This is anxiety producing. This is confusing. I don't really know what to do. But here's the thing. If you have a good advocate, if you have someone who can plead your case, who can help you navigate it, you have an advocate who is therefore helpful, and that's an incredible amount of comfort, isn't it? And that's what Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit is. I love this quote by Matt Smethurst. He says this, the gospel turns, the gospel changes heaven's courtroom's proceedings from a criminal trial to an adoption ceremony. That's the heart of Jesus here. Jesus is saying, hey, you're gonna get more of God than you ever imagined because the helper, the comforter, the advocate is coming. And you're going to be adopted into my family, and I'm going to be, by the Spirit, with you. Who is this helper? Well, look at what it says in verses 16 and 17. In verse 16, it says that the helper is given by the Father. So this is a gift of God. And, and it's interesting, it actually says, give you another helper. Right? Jesus has been a kind of helper. The Spirit is another helper. The Spirit, this helper, is with you forever, it says in verse 16. He's the spirit of truth. So as the spirit of truth begins to fill your life, you're less uh, deceived, you're less accused, you're less led astray, you're able to experience the truth. He's knowable, it says in verse 17. The world doesn't know him, but you know him. And then he dwells with you and will be in you. This is... Amazing. I, I have a very hard time, honestly, just even getting my head around it. That it's not just that God will be with us in Jesus, but that by the Spirit, God will dwell in us. See, earlier in chapter 14, Jesus had said, uh, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he was talking about how he was going to go and, and create in the new heavens and the new earth this this dwelling place for us with God. So, so I'm going to prepare a dwelling place for you with God. But now, he's saying not only that, I'm going to create a, a dwelling place in you with God. This is a whole new kind of a thing. Uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, I, I think, well, I think last week, Seth uh, up here when he was preaching, he mentioned that they had just moved. And so a couple weeks ago, I was uh, part of the group of folks that helped them move into their new house. And uh, it's nice when you're done helping someone else move because it's their problem now, right? And you, you know, we help, we help them move and he, there's just boxes everywhere and there's stuff everywhere. And you're like going, this is going to turn out pretty good, but it's mostly kind of a mess right now. Well, I was back there uh, Friday night. And, uh, it, you know, Seth and Taylor have tailorized the house. It was warm and beautiful and comfortable. Pictures are on the wall. And blankets laid out over the couch. There's these little nooks and comfortable spots to sit. The lighting all looks great. See, here's the thing. When when God comes into our lives, when he awakens us by his spirit, when he loves us and we respond with love for him, right? He's in us, he owns us, but we're kind of a mess. There's a lot of boxes to unpack. There's a lot of things to renovate. There's a lot of things to tweak. There's a lot of things that need a coat of paint. And here's the promise 
that gives peace is that if, if Jesus makes his home in you by the Spirit, he's cleaning you up. He's preparing a little nook for the Spirit of God to dwell in. He's, he's preparing in your heart a comfortable spot for God himself to enjoy. No, it doesn't happen overnight, and it doesn't happen as fast as it happened in the Trout's house. It happens over the course of your whole life. But here's, here's the promise of this. We can have peace because God himself gives us God himself. We can have peace because God himself gives us God himself. If God is far off, there's no peace. If God is even kind of close by, there's a little more peace. But if God is in us by the Spirit, there's an opportunity for peace. Peace that lasts, peace that isn't earned, peace that doesn't have to be held onto, peace that isn't temporary based on our circumstances, but a lasting, substantial peace that doesn't just fill our hearts with goodness, but that actually turns us outward and helps us to love other people. This is the offer. This is the promise for those who love Jesus. Here's the third thing we see is that uh, if you love Jesus, you also will live just like Jesus. Now, you might uh, read that and think that that just means, well, didn't you already say that? And in one hand, yes, I already did, right? If you love Jesus, you will keep his commands and live the way you were meant to do. And that way you're living just like Jesus. But that's not what I'm talking about here. Because in verse 19, in verse 19, Jesus says this, yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. So here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I'm gonna go die and I'm gonna be buried. And you're then, after I rise, gonna see me. The world's not gonna see me. They're not going to experience me. And Jesus, when he shows up, he shows up to his disciples. He shows up to his followers. But what this is saying is, just like Jesus lived after dying, you and I will live after dying. Jesus is going to die, but he will live. And so will we. Uh, my five-year-old Hank, he's taking uh, skating lessons, ice skating lessons. His uh, cousins are all into hockey, and so they gave him a bunch of hand-me-down hockey gear. And um, he's, so Hank's learning to skate, wearing all the hockey gear. I kind of hope he doesn't like it because hockey's really expensive. I don't know if I want him to like hockey, but, but for now, it's fun to have him kind of learning to skate. And I tell him uh, before his skating lessons, what I told all my kids was they were learning to ride their bike. I'd say, I say, listen, I, I say, hey, buddy, listen, everyone falls, but not everyone gets back up. Now, I'm not sure that's actually true. Like, I don't know that like someone falls on the ice just lays there until they're like ready to close the building. They're like, hey, Jim, could you drag that guy off the ice? He's still there. Like, I, I don't, I imagine everyone actually does get back up. But, but it's incredibly motivating to a five-year-old. Hey, buddy, not every, everyone falls, but not everyone gets back up. Well, everyone might get up from a fallen bike ride. Everyone might get up from a skating accident. But listen, not everyone gets up from death. Everyone falls down in death, but not everyone gets back up. This is what Jesus said in the passage last week. I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. In John chapter 3, in verse 36, it said, whoever believes in the Son has life. Whoever does not believe does not have life 
for God's wrath remains on him. Everyone falls. Everyone dies. But not everyone gets back up. But if you love Jesus, you will live. Regardless of what you're facing, regardless of what you're experiencing, regardless of the pain, even right now. It's not the end of your story. It's not the final word. You will live. Are you suffering? You might suffer for a long time, but you will live. Are you depressed? Are you anxious? You might deal with that until the day you die, but after that day, you will live. Are you in debt? Are you up to your eyeballs in financial pressure? That doesn't have to be the end of the story because you will live. Have you been divorced? Are the relationships in your life really painful and difficult? That's not the end of the story. You will live. Now, here's the reality. If we're going to follow Jesus, we are following Jesus into death. Right? Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must pick up his lazy boy recliner and... Oh, wait, that's not what he said. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must pick up his cross daily and follow me. So listen, if we follow Jesus, we follow Jesus into death. Even following Jesus, especially following Jesus into love, is choosing to follow him into death, dying to ourselves, dying to our comfort, dying to our desires. Maybe you're suffering. Maybe you're hurting. Has it ever occurred to you that that might be happening because you're following Jesus? But here's the good news. You might experience it in this life. You might not. But you will live. Because Jesus lives, we will live. You disappointed? Have you failed? Are you in pain? Are you struggling? Are you dying? It's not the end of the story. You will live. These are promises that produce peace. They leave us, honestly, with a big final question, which is, do you love Jesus? Because these are promises for people who love Jesus. They're not universal promises, right? I, th I think we've all kind of bought into a little bit of a I don't know if it's an American thing or a Western thing or if it's just a human thing. I don't know. But we kind of imagine that everyone who dies will, will see them again someday or they're looking down on us. We imagine that happily. It's almost like we believe in salvation by death. But we don't believe in salvation by death. We believe in salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. So the question is, if you're going to experience living the way you were meant to live, if you're going to experience God coming in and dwelling with you, if you're going to experience the promise that no matter what you face in this life, you will live again, then the question is, do you love Jesus? And isn't love such a personal word? Right? It, he doesn't say, if you respect me. He doesn't say, if you admire me. He doesn't say, if you acknowledge me. He doesn't say, even here, if you believe in me. Now, there's lots of other places where he does say, if you believe in me. right? Believe and love and Jesus' mind are often the same thing. But, but here specifically, he says, if you 
love me. And that's hard, isn't it? Because love is a vulnerable word. Love is a personal word. I can respect you. I can admire you. I can even to some degree be in awe of you from a distance. But once I say I love you, I'm moving close. Do you love him? Now listen, I know what some of you are thinking. As soon as you hear that, you go, I love him, but I don't know if I love him enough. And here's what I want to tell you today. Jesus did not say, if you love me enough. He just said, if you love me. When Peter, one of his closest friends, who Jesus just a few verses ago has said, hey, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny even knowing me three times. And in the moment of hours from this story, Peter's going to go out and he's going to stand by a fire and this harmless little girl is going to say, you sound kind of like a Galilean. You know Jesus, don't you? And he's going to go, I never knew him. And even after Jesus rises from the dead, and appears to Peter. Peter is still hanging his head in shame and decides he's just going to go fishing. And what we're going to read when we get to the end of John chapter 20, uh, John 21 is that Jesus is going to go to Peter while he's fishing and he's going to call him to the seashore. And what is he going to ask him? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He's not going to say, Peter, do you love me enough? Because what would Peter say? We'd say what all of us would say. There is no enough. But that's not the question. The question is, do you love him? When you, when you look at Jesus, when you read about Jesus, when you consider Jesus, is there something in you that just goes, I love him. And I want to love him more. But it, it's not even, right here, it's not even about the quantity. It's about, is it there? And if it's there, these are promises that should give you peace. Now listen, if it's not there, if you, through this process, go, you know what? I admire Jesus. I'm intrigued by Jesus. I think he's really smart. I'm really amazed by him. Ah, I don't think I love him. Then what the Lord has just given you is the gift of seeing things as they are. Now listen, just because that's how they are, doesn't mean that's how they have to stay. But you've been given the gift of clarity. You've been given the gift of sobriety. You've been given the gift of actually seeing things, right? The scriptures tell us, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. And if you realize, you know what? I admire Jesus. I, I think he's really neat, but I don't love him. Then this is your opportunity to begin to pray, Lord, help me to love you. Lord, help me to see who you really are. Because when you see Jesus as he really is, your heart will begin to soften and you will love him. And these promises will be yours. Do you love him? Listen, he loves you. He loves you so much that he's coming near, that he's God himself is giving you God himself. This is how much he loves you. And this is why we celebrate and rejoice in who he is. Let's pray. Father, now we come to you and we're thankful for these promises. God, we're thankful that, that you love us and we really do love you. 
God, we want to love you more, but we, we're thankful that that's not really what it's about, that you just want us to love you. So God, help us to love you most. Help us to love you first. Help us to love you centrally in everything. And God, thank you for these promises. Thank you that we don't have to earn them. Thanks that we don't have to try to keep them. Thank you that you are faithful. And we pray in Jesus' strong name. Amen.